Born to Italian immigrants in the 1980s, what does the daughter of an iron worker and civil servant have in common with an old stock Canadian who grew up during World War II in Forest Hill and went on to be a preeminent Canadian doctor? How about the son of a single mom with limited income, raised in BC? What's his connection with a firefighter living over 5,000 kilometers away in Nova Scotia? Resilience, persistence, passion, hockey. Some of the names of those people I just described may be familiar. Andy Petrillo of TSN, for example. Dr. Ch Dr. Charles Tater, a leading Toronto neurosurgeon who has brought awareness and understanding to brain and spinal cord injuries in the sport of hockey. Others, like Craig Cunningham or Pat Klein, may not ring a bell. But they, along with 11 others, are the subject of a new book coming out on October 30th by Jim Lang and Bob McKenzie, respected sports broadcasters and writers. It's titled Everyday Hockey Heroes, Inspiring Stories on and Off the Ice. I'm Neil Acharya, and this is Sports Lit. I'm very pleased to welcome my co-host Nate Sager to discuss the 248-page release under the Simon & Schuster label. Nate, what struck you from Everyday Hockey Heroes? Well, Neil, my initial reaction when I sort of heard this project was in the works, you know, they have a book coming out about just people at the grassroots levels of the sport. It was kind of like, yeah, wow, it's about time that, you know, someone uh, took on a project like this. I mean, I've sort of always been, I guess, obsessed with hockey becoming this kind of, as during our lifetime, it, you know, it's become this kind of more exclusive, uh, you know, athlete affluent sport i mean there's certainly lots to answer for that vis-a-vis -vis the cost factor i you know heartily recommend jim parcells and ken campbell's book selling the dream which came yes. out a few years ago but the relationship that canadians you know have with hockey like all enduring relationships is layered and there's still something pure about what people across this country are, are doing to foster a positive hockey environment for anyone who wants to participate. Just to give you an example of like where the sport's gone in our lifetime, uh, you know, my sister is a, a goaltender. When she played, you know, girls hockey growing up in Kingston, there was never any competition for her to have the starting job on her team. It was always like, am I going to be a solo or am I going to have a net money partner? And that was right. it. And then a few weeks ago, I'm watching, you know, a Kingston minor hockey team playing. A friend was in town, this massive... Uh, female hockey tournament that's held in Stony Creek, Ontario every year. Okay. And she was like, she had to beat out six, my friend's daughter had to beat out six goalies to get a spot on the team. Like, that's where the sport is. That's a positive right. thing, right? And what was the age group? This is a Bantam, so oh. 13 and 14 wow, year olds. Okay. Six other goalie, goalies trying out for the team. But anyways, getting back to the uh, this book, uh, Everyday Hockey Heroes, you know, it really did renew some of those things. But, you know, there is that, you know, that purity and there were, so many, uh, I guess, six degrees of Kevin Bacon instances for me when I was reading this, like Kevin Brown, the official whose life was changed by a critical injury. He was working a game in a league I covered, you know, in one of my newspaper jobs. Mm -hmm. Kevin Monkman, the junior B coach in Manitoba, he helms a team that was in a league I covered as well. You know, there's a chapter about blind hockey. Uh, and I used to get on, uh, on the ice in Ottawa with a group of uh, visually impaired athletes, including, you know, Paralympic goalball players, Amy Burke and, and Jill McSween. So I'm glad to have this book on my nightstand. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a pick-me-up. You know, you can leaf through it and see what someone's had to endure and what challenges they faced. And it's a great reminder that... You know, tough times will come, but tough times don't last. Tough people do. So grateful uh, Jim Lang is here. Uh, great, you know, the effort that he and Bob McKenzie and their era editor, Sarah St. Pierre, put into this uh, 
book speaks for itself. He's had this you know, fine transition from being a Sportsnet anchor to being the morning show host at 105.9 The Region. Uh, I think we've done introduced it enough. Uh, looking forward to seeing what Jim has to say. Absolutely, Nate. Well said. After this, we'll welcome Jim Lang to Sports Lit. Jim Lang, welcome to the program. Thank you guys for having me. This is a real thrill. Thank you. Um, first off, before we get into the book, um, I want to introduce you to our listeners who may not know you from Sportsnet. Okay. And just explain your broadcasting background first, uh, how you got started and where you've uh, been on the uh, journey. I started at Humber College in the 80s and I uh, graduated in the late 80s from Humber College. Uh, Don Landry was the year ahead of me, so we were of that vintage. Now, at the time, there was no sports radio, and TSN was in its infancy. There was no score. There was no... So I worked in music radio to start, because that's basically all you could get. Right. I mean, unless you went to America, there was no sports radio. And the only people in TSN were Vic Router and John Wells. Like, they were the yes. lifers. And so, yes. I mean, I was this punk kid out of Humber. There's no, like, there's no chance. Right. So um, I worked at a few different radio stations, and I ended up working in Montreal with John Derringer at Show FM. This would have been 93 to 95. And, you know, I always was always into sports at any time I could get into, you know, part of anything sports was great. And I was look I was looking ahead to it. And then he got offered an opportunity to do the morning show at the fan. This would have been February of 95. OK. Um, and fan then 590. The fan. five. Well, it was actually 1430. They just switched. Oh, wow. This was I know. I, so they switched the signal a month after I started. And it's a real little side story. So Dan Shulman was doing the afternoon show. Okay. Um, Bob McCowan had done the morning show. They let him go because he didn't feel he worked as a morning man. <laughs> so Derringer shows up as the morning guy. Uh, Mike Richards is his co-host. Craig Van is the engineer. I'm the producer. Oh, okay. And two weeks after we start, Dan Shulman walks in and goes, I'm leaving because I'm the new voice of the Blue Jays for TSN. Okay. And they had to bring Bob back. Huh. And then he said, you want me back? And that's how he started doing shows in Vegas. Oh. He said, you want me back? I'm going to do... He did winter in Vegas. He did like January, February. What a and, life. And around March break, <laughs> he'd come back after the dead of winter. And then that was the beginning of my journey in sports radio and television because then I was you know, doing a lot of uh, reporting. And um, there was not a lot of CFL um, skewed reporters at the fan at the time. And that was always a love of mine. And so Don Landry and I covered the Argos extensively especially 96 and 97 when Doug Flutie was there and the two of us ended up covering the Grey Cup that was in Hamilton and then by 97 I was I was kind of at that point I was a hybrid producer and reporter for the fan and then by 97 I was just reporter uh doing updates right and then uh then I ended up at Talk 640 doing sports updates and then doing work in the Argos broadcast and sometimes backfilling Andy Frost and Leafs talks right. when he had a conflict. And then just one thing led to another and just kind of went from there. Okay. And so then from there, you to, to get on the desk at Sportsnet, that was just... Well, well that was actually an interesting story, okay. Neil, because what happened was uh, in 2001, I got hired to, to head up something called Sportsnet Radio. Okay. So Scott Moore had this vision. We They had a uh, an agreement with chorus radio sure. that we that sportsnet radio would provide the radio content and updates for places like 
Q, The Edge, C, CFPL in London, okay. uh, Hamilton, like all these stations. And said, let's, so they had a, a studio, not actually half the size of what we're in right now, with an ISDN box, and there would be a number. And you'd look at the number in the list and would punch up the radio station. So you're in Hamilton, you're in London, you're in uh, Kingston, you're in Toronto, and you do the updates. And we had um, uh, Bubba O'Neill from CH right. was yes. doing it. Um, the Raging Redhead, yes, uh, Cam, Cam Stewart. Cam Stewart. <laughs> and so there was a group of us that were we were all part of it. Right. And uh, and what happened was um, Damien Goddard was doing the morning TV at the time at Sportsnet. And they went live at six. That means you had to be in the studio at four. Okay. If you were anchoring, to be on the air at six. And the all the evening hosts, Dare Millard, uh, Mike Tolf, they all were night sports people they said we physically can't do this sure like the, the i because they are so used to like getting off the air two in the morning right for them to flip their body over and so the uh, i had done some uh oua university football for chtv mm-hmm. and uh, which was an unbelievable thrill i loved it and they they said like can you have you done any tv and I said, well yes i did and i explained to them so they screen tested me uh, and it, and this is how you do it. And they maybe run through a mock show of what the morning show was like, and they figured out that I could do it. And uh, and then so when Damien Goddard he went like on a three week vacation with his wife, and so then I did the morning run, and then I had someone backfill for me in the radio, and then for the next year and a half I did a hybrid where I was like say sixty percent radio and. To say thirty or forty percent TV, okay, and I did some lacrosse hosting of lacrosse and stuff like that, and so that was my four way into sports television, and and pretty much all on Sportsnet before you moved over to the region. It, it, yes, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, exactly. And, and and before I'm gonna let Nate jump in because I think you just hit two trigger points for him <laughs> on OUA. I just heard OUA and I saw his eyes light up, and uh, of course CFL football you're a fan of, but. Um, so uh, when? How long have you been at the region? Where are you currently are right now? With day one, we started in December of 2013. Right. And I've been there since day one. I, I got released to my contract at Rogers slash the fan. Right. They were going in different directions. It turned out they went in multiple different yeah. directions in the morning show since I left. Right. And uh, I really, I really enjoy it. And, and it, it turned out it was a blessing in disguise because a, I really enjoy where I'm working. But B, it offered, because of the format, because of the situation, it offered me the time and space to write books. I just, look, there's no way I could have written multiple books working at The Fan doing the morning show because it just sucked up so much of your time. I could not have put the time into writing book. I, like, I would have to take into a, a Stephen Brunt six-week sabbatical in the summer <laughs> to pull it off, and that just wasn't feasible. Right. I, I, I Yeah, exactly. I think uh, that's pretty much was my follow-up question is how did you end up landing and writing i was going to say some people once someone asked me once they said or i asked them i said what well, what's jim lang doing now they said well he's definitely in marketing because i saw his face on the side of a bus yeah, that's right yeah so, <laughs> it's um, huge right like my eyes look like <laughs> I, I, well real quick so I, how i got the start in writing mm-hmm. is i had done i was the radio voice of the argos in 2002 sherwood schwartz was the owner and i i was approached and then scott moore thought it was great because it didn't conflict with my responsibilities through right. Sportsnet Radio. And if need be, while I'm on the road games and they needed someone to stick a Sportsnet mic there with 
Sometimes they were shorthanded and they'd send a cameraman, you grab the Sportsnet mic and then do yeah. some interviews. Mike I'd say, I can do that. Right. So I had did did the whole season. They ended up losing to Montreal in the East Final at the Big O, the Reggie Slack year of all things. And Pinball Clemens had taken over as head coach. It was a lot of stuff that went on. And then the next year, Sherwood Schwartz had money issues and there was no radio for the Argos. And then sportsnet.ca, the website, was just sort of in its infancy. And they said, we need Canadian content. We need CFL right. content. And can, like, can you do a weekly power rankings thing for us? I said, okay. And that oh. was the beginning of like an 03, the beginning of writing. And then it right. just, okay. I started to do a little bit more and a little bit more and build from there. Yeah, how much did that experience with, uh, I always refer to being part of the media core that's covered football in Canada, the few, the proud, the obscure sometimes, but, uh, well, at least in, at least in uh, yeah, southern yeah. Ontario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how did that, uh, you know, foster your, your storytelling skills? Because there's so many people, the people doing, you know, coaching at the university level, the, you know, the Americans who come up here to play in the CFL, there's always so, so many unique stories. I, I wouldn't be here without it, Nate. There's no, there's no question. I would not have been here. I mean, I... First of all, doing OUA football was it was fascinating to me to be to see it's the best kept secret in Ontario sports, OUA elite athletics, because they're unless you're in the 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 like the Yates Cup or the Hardy Cup and the Vanier Cup and championship in basketball. Up until then, no one knows about it. No one, and all of a sudden, like, what well, Carlton basketball. Well, they're amazing. What do you mean Wisconsin won't play them in a preseason game? Why is that? Well, because they're so good. And I was able to see uh, Jesse Lumsden in his first couple of years and call some of his games. And I had never seen anyone at the Ontario University football level dominate the way he did. And he was running for two, 250 yards a game. It was like seeing old clips of Earl Campbell at Texas. <laughs> and uh, so it was fascinating. And with the Canadian Football League, what, what, what helped me more than anything is they basically, not only if you were reported, not only would they tell you something, they would tell you 5, 10, 15 times beyond what you ever wanted. They would get to know you. They, and especially when you travel with them, they, they took you in. I mean, they, on other sports, unfortunately, they, you're the media and you're yeah. way over there and we're the athletes. But the Canadian Football League, especially in that time, um, there was no closed practices. There was it was open to anything, and you I mean it helped you learn a lot how to tell stories a lot. So you you had an interest in writing earlier on, and then your move to the region allowed you to to get into it in a in a bigger way. Right. Uh, while I was still doing the fan morning show, um, Ian Mendez uh, had written a book with Jamie Noodles McClennan. Yes, best uh, seat in the house. Best seat in the house. So they wrote a book together and. His literary agent is now my agent, Brian Wood. He said, do you know of any other potential writers? Now, this time I was writing for Sportsnet Magazine and Sportsnet.ca. So I was writing quite a bit on top of all my other duties. And he said, well, check out some of Jim Lang stuff. And then they, they, he did, and he signed me on. And we thought we had a potential book deal. And it fell through, and it turned into an ebook. So that was okay. the first long-form piece I wrote. It was about 25,000 words. And it was called The Mental Game. Basically, I did a series of six chapters with Wayne Gretzky, Mike Gartner, Gary Roberts, Doug Gilmore, all these players, their game day routine. What they did, when they did it, and why they did it. Okay. And it was quite interesting. Guys, some guys couldn't eat game day. Some guys right. had to eat five times a day. 
Wayne Gretzky said he would, like, before power bars, he would have a ham sandwich and a glass of uh, Sprite between periods because there was no, he was yeah. so hungry all the time. Right. You yeah. know, and so I was fascinated by that. And that was the first really long form piece. So then, uh, with armed with that, Brian was able to show publishers, like, this is, you know, some of the stuff he can write. And that ended up, long story short, ended up into the Tai Domi deal when we did shift work. Well, that's a great, uh, great segue. And and yes, so you are the author of, of two biographies of two of arguably the most famous Maple Leafs ever, starting with Tai Domi and then moving on to Wendell Clark a couple of years ago. So I guess, how do I want to ask this? First of all, uh, how did how, how did that Tai Domi deal land? And, and, and with that book particular, in particular, it seemed like it flew a little under the radar. Is that a safe way to put it? Because the Wendell book was, you know, everybody knew about it. Yeah, and, and but the odd thing is, the Thai book has sold a little bit more. Okay, you know, I'd say about five percent more in total oh, sales wow. okay. than the Wendell book. Um, the pro- what had happened is they approached me because they knew I had spent some time dealing with Thai when I was a member of the Leafs right. beat. When I was at Sports, I was a traveling reporter. And they said, would you be interested in writing a book with Ty? I said, well, sure I would. But I don't know if he wants to do a book. Right. And so I went through an alumni player I knew right. to contact him. He came back to me and said, Jim, he's not interested. So I said, look, he's just not interested right now. And then three weeks later, I ran into Ty at the, the cancer charity, the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. And I said, look, I just sort of explained myself. And, and then we started chatting. And he, he goes, you know, actually... Why don't you set up a meeting? Why don't we meet? I'd like to actually hear what they have to say. The, up until then, ever since Ty retired, he had been approached numerous times to write a fighting book, like 14 chapters of all his fights. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to do that. Right. Like, I don't want to do like four, like 80,000 words of hockey fights. And um, Simon and Schuster, to their credit, said, we only want to know about that Bob Probert fight. Right. Other than that, we don't care if you write about fighting at all. Okay. Write about what you want. And so that piqued his interest. And then they they came to a deal. I didn't like I hadn't heard from them from six weeks. And I said to my wife, I said, I don't think this is gonna happen. Like I would have heard by now. And almost a week later, my agent calls, I don't know what how we did it, but we got a deal. And then we started the process of putting the book together, which was fascinating unto itself because it was the first time I had undertake anything of that magnitude. And there was some stress involved, but uh, they gave me a deadline when to have the first draft ready, and I, <laughs> I sometimes I look back, I don't know how I did it, but I met the deadline, and it ended up getting to the shelves. Yeah, and now from there, obviously the Wendell Clark book. I love the Wendell Clark book. By oh, the thank way, you. Thank you. I think when someone you know a memoirist really nails, it, you start to hear like the voice in your head when you're reading starts to sound like the subject. Yeah. Like I start to hear like Wendell's like sort of prairie drawl. Right. Right. <laughs> drawl. Now how, now. Skipping ahead to this book, how did this become your late, latest project? Everyday Hockey Heroes, well, that was um, in November. Simon and Schuster, my agent, called me to a meeting and said, we have a concept for a book. Are you interested in? And come and meet with us. And they started to pitch it. And I had never heard of the concept before. And then the more they talked about it, the more I was really intrigued at hearing different voices in the game of hockey um, I mean, I still play, you know, old guys men's league hockey, and and I have friends who coach and spend countless hours, and I know people across Canada who basically are the fabric of the game that nobody knows about, and have accomplished a lot of things. So the more I looked into, I say I, I think I'd like to be part of this, 
And at the time, Bob McKenzie was quite reticent to, he had written a couple of books before and he thought it was an extreme amount of work and he's so busy with everything he's doing. And, and so I said, well, let's just start because if he, if he doesn't, then I'm going to have to finish it. And if he does, and then we'll, you know, the two of us can get together. So we started building like the foundation of what the book is now. And then he came on board and then because of Bob and who he is and his pedigree and his connections, he opened up doors to us that just would not have been opened before. That's just the way it is. He would text me and say, ah, just Neil's expecting, Nate's expecting to call. Like, what? They're going to talk to me? <laughs> and then I would text and go, hey, it's Jim Lang. I'm like, okay. And then set up a time like, all right. The Bob father. So, and honestly, Neil, I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And so I would say a third of the book are people that we never thought we would have had a chance to include in the book. And that's all because of Bob. It would not have happened without a Bob McKenzie being on board. Each of the stories is a unique tale of that particular person. I think there's 15. Um, what popped out to me was, as Nate talked about with Wendell, you start hearing his voice. I definitely felt as though I, I was hearing people speak for themselves, but you were writing their story. Yes. So in a case, for example, I think it was most evident with Christian Holmes. He comes across exactly like he wants to come across in that. Um, how, how did you manage to do that? Did you, is, I mean, beyond, like, is it, how does it go beyond the interview process to where you're making them sound like they are beyond the quotes? Hey, I, I'm going to go back to the, what Nate ref referred to in the Wendell book. Um, it's not, I mean, I've talked to the writers and they pay people to, to transcribe. I don't. I, I find I have to transcribe everything I write because I need to hear their inflection and I can make notes. So while I'm transcribing, I'll put things in brackets because then I'll know. So it helps me translate what they're saying to get the feel for what they're saying. It's not just the words, but the like the emotion of the words, if that makes any sense. Sure. And sometimes they're being offhand. Sometimes they're being emotional. Sometimes they're they're being you know glib. Sometimes right. they're being a little forceful. And I want I'm trying to get that yeah. across to tell their story. And um, you mentioned it, Nate, about you know Wendell's got a very matter of fact prairie way of talking. Like and he's there's no airs about him. But and some of the different people in this book, they you know. I would transcribe some of their stuff and I'd have to stop once in a while because it got to me, you know, because right. it, 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 like their stories are unbelievable. Like, and you think you have problems in life and you hear yeah. some of their stories like I have no problems at all. Right. And so to, to get that on the page, I was that was their, our goal from the beginning. That I mean, So to hear you say that is a, a real compliment. I really appreciate it. What were some of the techniques in getting people to be so open and comfortable with talking to you? Because not everyone you've talked to is a person who deals with the media on a regular basis. It's a great question. And one of them was Kevin Monkman, who is an indigenous hockey coach with the Pegwas Juniors in northern Manitoba. And he was like, you want to talk to me? And because I had to go through the league office, get a hold of the GM to get a hold of Kevin, who's an executive with Manitoba Hydro. And he drives two hours of like straight highway driving from Winnipeg to northern Manitoba to this indigenous reserve in Pegwas, Manitoba to coach these kids. Because he used to play there, and that's like his way of giving back. And he, we had to go back, I'd say, four, at least four times and revisit the story to pull stuff out of him. And about the third or fourth time, he would drop these little gems like, that's that's the story. You know, stuff right. that, you know, like, because he, and, and I found that actually with everything I've done, to do it once, you're like, okay. And then what will happen is either they 
remember or they think, you know what, actually this is something I probably should include. And so then they they come back and give us more. And that's that's one of the things that I find, especially certain people like Kevin, who is really a guy who is, doesn't think he's what he's doing is special. I think it is. So you had to go back to him multiple times to get it out of him. So just to backtrack for a second, the so the the publisher approached you guys initially about about doing this, yes. right? Yeah. And so it, it, is that, and you mentioned that it was similar with Domi, right? So they want a name such as yourself to to be on this as well as the subject. Well, I, I I don't know if I'm I don't want to give myself too much credit for that, Neil, the, for the Ty thing. I think they thought that I might be able to work with Ty to get the job completed and get right. it onto the bookstores. I think that was their big thing. Sure. Not so much that I was. I'm out of any name of, or any list as far as I'm concerned. They wanted someone who could work with Ty. He's he's a busy guy. He's a you know he's got business. Um, you know he's he travels. He's got charities doing stuff. So his schedule's not as consistent. Wendell was a pretty consistent guy. Yeah. He lives in the city. He, at the time, his son Cody was going to SAC. He's now playing in junior hockey in Ottawa. So he was either in Aurora or he was in one of his businesses in Vaughn or he was downtown. And you'd meet at a coffee would, shop. Yeah, and... We'd, and we basically wrote, I'd say 85% of that Wendell book was written at the second cup across from Air Canada Center. <laughs> because he, he'd be just like, so, but Ty was much different. I think that was one of the reasons they thought I could juggle things and handle Ty and sort of get it to paper. And I mean, is it a stretch for me to say, and you might not know the answer, but maybe Ty wanted to work with us only a handful of people too, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, he had mentioned that there were certain people that he thought he had worked with before he didn't want to. Right. And then, so that was, I mean, it was Ty and his business manager sort of having to sign off on it. Sure. And then, and the same thing with Wendell and all of these. And they're like, well, okay, we'll work with Jim. And then away we go. Now, moving back, because I kind of, I guess I digressed. And sure. you were talking about the Monkman story. Uh, you, some of these stories, oh, a lot of these stories are very moving. Um, which are, are there ones that, that stand out to you more than others uh, in here? And, and please mention, because so, we have not really mentioned some of the, the people in this book. For example, we talked about Andy Petrillo, yeah. but there's a Hunter Ryan Singh from CBC. I love that story. Um, God, I love that story. There, yeah, I mean, just, some, just mention some of the other stories in this book, like some of the names, and then some, some that may have stuck out to you. You know, I mean, you see Hunter Ryan Singh on Hockey Night and Hockey Night Punjabi, and you assume <laughs> that he's this has been like, hey, but he talks about growing up as like the only Sikh family in a little town in Alberta. His parents were teachers. Right. And to fit in, it was hockey. Right. And hockey trivia. And, you know, he had a dream. He wanted to be on hockey night. And, you know, oh, no, you know, they don't hire, you know, right. Sikh kids to do that and stuff. Sure. And he heard that so much. And by God, he he never gave up that dream. And it is the, the like the knowledge and the depth of knowledge he has for hockey is incredible. But just the willpower to keep going. I was moved by it. Uh, Karina Potvan is this coach who coaches in East Ottawa and ended up with three Syrian refugees yeah, on her team. Yeah. And it's and she's in her car and her son Benoit's on there and they're all like seven, eight year old kids. And Benoit turns to the kids and go, "What's war like?" Yeah. And she has the like a parental lump in the throat, like, "Oh my yeah. God, what do I do?" And the Syrian kids, Muhammad and the other boys, were like, well, I don't know, we were in a tent, a refugee. And then they start, oh, okay. And then they just start talking about like Fortnite or something. Like, <laughs> you know, because that's the way kids are. Right, but, the kids, yeah. Um, so it was, I thought that was moving. The Craig Cunningham story, I, I, I don't know how he he lived. The odds of 
the mathematical odds of someone having that kind of cardiac incident mm. that there's four firefighters 10 feet away for the pregame ceremony right, yeah, that was crazy. to do CPR over 80 minutes and then have one of the best cardiac specialists in the West Coast happen to be in that hospital, yeah. he would not have lived. And, you know, that, I, that really still gets to me. It, there was a lot, a lot of moving. El- the stories all were moving, but then there was particular moving, particular moving elements for sure to oh. each story. Yeah, and I just want to say in the, in the acknowledgement, I think Bob McKenzie goes, "Well, this is more, you know, Sarah St. Pierre and Jim's book more than mine." Uh, what, 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 how, how did Sarah really serve as a person to sort of help shape these stories? Sarah St. Pierre is a, she's an absolute champion. I, I mean. I, that's the one thing I've really understood acutely writing books, hardcover books, is you're nothing without a good editor. Nothing. And the editor is keeping everyone focused. And they, they you know, have that sort of wall map and what the, okay, where are you at now? And you're updating them. But if you don't have the, the editor's like the glue of the whole, like there would no be no book if there wasn't for Sarah. Right. And I, Bob, that's not an understatement or an overstatement from Bob. It's almost an understatement. I, we, Both of us can't put into words what Sarah meant to making this happen because we were under brutally tight deadlines because we started in November and had to be done by May, which is very unusual because we had to meet deadlines for production purposes. Right. And so we were, it was like a blur for a while there. And we almost sat there like smoke rising from the battlefield like and and like i think we're done you know it was that kind of thing but sarah there's no way there's a book without her there's no chance let's talk about or you know what i i, did, I hate saying it let's talk about it. let's let's move on i'm trying, <laughs> trying not to be the lazy uh journalist here yeah, that's why our uh, facebook group actually is talk about sports talk about, about, it's sort of an uh, insight talk, about, about, talk about a few people yeah no to talk about no let's let's <laughs> discuss non question let's discuss um we've We've mentioned Bob McKenzie several times throughout this uh, podcast so far today, and I want to discuss his involvement with the book in in more detail, if you don't mind. He's no. not here, so yeah, yeah, no. I'm not asking you to speak for him, but um, just to just I guess to paraphrase myself here and, and not to go on too long, his contribution is is limited by his own adv- admission yeah. in this. He, you know, he says I didn't do much; it was all Jim and Sarah. Um, but if you look closely at what he did here, and especially the intro, it blew me away. His, his intro. I mean, I found that there there's layers to Bob you find in his writing that you, because of the nature of what he does, you know him as the insider. He's going to break news yeah. and he's going to give you in depth analysis. But his writing is is terrific, and there there's layers to it. And if you in in the intro, he he references Marcus Aurelius. I know. And uh, James Lane Allen. Um, and there's always ex- existentialism to, to what he writes about. He talks about the infinite sadness, um, weaves his own life story through pretty much everyone in this book. It, it's very powerful. And I wanted to ask you, with that said, does does what Bob does on TV, does that take away from or overshadow how good of a writer he is sometimes? Probably overshadow. But, but I mean, he, what he says mm. is an overstatement. It's not all my book or Sarah's book. The book is... O- okay without Bob. The book is excellent with Bob. Right. But that, I mean, I could not have written that forward. And mm. I don't know many people in Canada that could. And and like you said, he got personal about his family and, you know, the, the emotion of that Jonathan Petrie in Ottawa and the, the humble tragedy. I, I mean, it was so beautifully written. It's It sets the tone for the whole book. So 
without Bob writing that in this chapter about that poor official in southwestern Ontario yeah. that got sliced on the neck and and so he if but that Ford if he without it I just don't think it's the same book and so Bob is really underselling his role in it and as I said earlier a third <laughs> of the people in this book would not be there without Bob McKenzie without question uh, he also mentions, again, I'm paraphrasing a little, but um, this book represent, represents the interests of a wide cross-section of the population. Yes. Um, what did you learn about the current face of Canada and maybe in relation to hockey uh, when, you, when, you, when you wrote this? Well, I definitely learned that the women are playing a much bigger and more sizable role on and off the ice in hockey than maybe there was 10 years ago. And that's great because I we have two teenage daughters right? and they're not involved in hockey, but I just think in overall for women in Canada, that's a good thing. Um, minorities in hockey, I mean, they were starting to blow open the past old boys club and on and off the ice. Um, hockey for the disabled, blind hockey, a sledge hockey, you know, Greg Westlake and, you know, his transition as a kid, you know, with a birth defect and like, I play hockey. You know, like it never dawned yeah. on him that he wouldn't be part of hockey. Um, you know, how firefighters and first responders use hockey to help with PTSD. Um, I just think, you know, Indigenous Canadian, the LGBTQ community, I just found myself learning something about Canada and hockey and people in general, every chapter I was working on. Were you um, were you uh, phoning these people? Were you going to see them in person? How did how did that? Uh... Pretty much because of they were all over Canada. Yeah, they it's, really are. Was, it was ninety nine percent over the phone. And, and was it important for you to get stories from across the country? Oh yeah, that was the goal at the beginning. Right. Yeah, to to get as broad a, a cross section like like Craig Cunningham's from Trail BC. Right. You know, and and you know Ray Ferraro played a big role sure. in his life as a kid, and then his recovery from all his injuries and then yeah we you know we go from basically coast to coast yes. from Halifax to Trail BC and uh, Hillary Knight from America and so yeah there was definitely a, a concerted effort to represent as much of the country as possible uh, yeah and, and for just to quickly run uh, over run over that Craig Cunningham was the AHL player who had cardiac arrest yes, right. on the ice yeah. and he like I didn't was didn't realize how much of a against the odds story he was oh. coming out of junior like single mother uh, he was drafted I think in his third year of eligibility third yeah yeah from the Vancouver Giants and I can remember being the one who told Ryan Johansson that the Portland Winterhawks had gotten him at the trade deadline because Johansson's at the World Junior and you're, you're kind of in the bubble away from your club team now, Jim, I'm, I'm almost feeling bad asking this, but if I, I'm going to put you on the spot, no, what was fine. the what was the hardest story to get right in this book? Uh, Doctor Charles Tatter, the esteemed neurologist, he's the Sidney Crosby of neurologists in Canada. Like he is. Yes. I mean, he he is the was the forefront of spinal injuries and neck injuries in hockey, CTE. Uh, everything had to be so specifically and acutely correct because he's. I mean. You're dealing with the spine and the brain. It's his nature. And I mean, he's a remarkable man. I mean, here's a guy, he's in his early 80s and still works as a working neurologist in downtown Toronto. And a professor, too. Right? A professor. He <laughs> writes papers. And, and and when he's said to talk, I mean, I think I had to call him at 7.30 at his house because that's when he was done his, his meetings and his, like, an indomitable spirit and an absolute passion for the game and, you know, a real connection to the old Maple Leafs because he was a... A bald boy and back in the day 
they had uh, an assistant with a bag of light bulbs for the photographers yes. at the Leafs game because you have to change them for every photo. Yeah. And so he just wanted to see hockey. He was obsessed with Howie Meeker. He got a Howie Meeker haircut, much to his mom's chagrin when he was a little boy. Holy and, gee. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and to him, that was that was the be-all and end-all. And so his connection to hockey and neurology, in my mind, has made the game better and safer for future generations. And he, yeah, because he, there were certain things that had to be so perfect yeah. and so right and said to be so accurate. Uh, I mean, that's hard in one way. I I, I thought it was hard, um, some of the other stories. Ben Finelli was hard for me because when he was telling the story, because like, I'm a parent, my wife and I have teenage kids, and he's telling the story about being a teenager who's the same age as my oldest daughter, lying in a hospital bed with three brain bleeds and doesn't remember the last three days, and they don't know if they're going to have to crack open his head to do brain surgery, that really got to me. Yeah. Like, I really, it's, as a parent, I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, ben Finelli, of course, played for the Kitchener yeah. Rangers and was hit from behind in a game and then had to... He came back eventually after, after two years. Two years, and, and yeah. But um, he played... But that he, he played three full seasons. I think that's the thing that uh, that blew me away. I knew he came back to play, but I even I forgot how many games he played after being off for two years. Yeah, just to interject there, uh, I, th I think Ben Finelli did a TED talk a few years ago. Yes, he did. And I yeah. remember watching that, and I was having it was like one of those. It was a day like today, gloomy fall day, and I saw him. And I remember him telling the story about just the first day he just just determined he's like he's at his parents' home in Oakville. I think. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he's just like, I am going to jog around the block today. And he's gone from being like this high performance athlete yeah. to just like. It'll be an accomplishment. I jog around. I remember I got up and just like instantly like wolfed down some carbs and I, you know, you know, started mainlining as you much water as I could and just you. went out for a jog. It's just like if he can do that, I can do that. Oh, like that's he, how inspiring Ben Finelli is. He, you know, he did a triathlon, um, which was incredible. And you know, Steve Spot, you know, he seems like a real gruff, nasty old school hockey guy, but he was so crucial. Uh, physically and mentally to Ben Finelli's recovery, making him feel part of the team, keeping his locker stall in the Rangers dressing room. And, you know, he had a silver face mask. And so they would know when Ben would sneak on the right. ice. They were yeah. so afraid he'd get hurt again. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, so I was, I mean, there's a real, there'll be a connection with Steve Spott and Ben Finelli forever. Were there were there moments, and you, you, you pointed this story out of Ben Finelli moving you particularly, um, were there moments where you had to step away, or was it? I know? couldn't. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I had to keep going. I mean, what happened was we, um, our family went on a, a vacation this summer, and then you know while we were flying, I would sort of remember and flash back to stuff. Right. But in the middle of it, we were we, we just uh, under the direction of Sarah, and we were so focused to meet deadlines and get stories right and get everything perfect and do all the editing. So yeah, um, what's the what's the sell in terms of this book in relation to uh, with with books like the Cujo book mm -hmm. that's out right mm -hmm. now at the uh, I think it's um, Penguin I'm not sure no Harper HarperCollins Harper Collins. Yeah. so there's a book tour last year there was one for Doug Gilmore uh, for you with with uh, with Wendell with Ty this book isn't like that you can't take 15 people out on the road with <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah. so what is the uh, what is the marketing strategy and are you involved do they ask you or tell you how to you know is there a, a book launch like that type of thing well this is actually a little bit different because mm. because of Bob's schedule is pretty intense right we're not going to have a traditional book launch party okay uh, Bob will go to Alberta 
uh, Edmonton Red Deer in Calgary uh, the first Friday and Saturday after the books is launched. In the beginning, the 7th of November, we're in a series of towns all across Ontario. And I'll be at all the Ontario dates. uh, Oshawa, Barrie, Ajax, uh, Peterborough, Belleville, Kitchener, London, and uh, maybe oh, uh, downtown at the First Canadian Place, but maybe some others. But I'll definitely bid all the Ontario ones. And uh, you're hoping Hillary Knight sells a few copies in the states for you? Well, of course, he's <laughs> a uh, an incredible person, a, a great athlete, but uh, like an iron will. Like you know, you think that a national hockey program would treat? I mean, I'm just being naive, I guess. That and she thought the same thing that they were getting the same per diem, the same meal benefits, the same. Rooms the same, everything is right. the men's. But when they found out, they were they were flabbergasted. So just give us a quick for those people out there that don't know Hillary's story. Uh, just give us the Coles notes uh, about why she's in the book. Incredible story, uh, world class, incredible hockey player for Team USA women's team. A couple of years ago, before the World Hockey Championships that were taking place in the states, they were hosting it in Michigan, if memory serves. And um, they found out about all this misgivings with USA Hockey, how the men were being treated five times more lavishly than the women and the women were kind of getting the shaft i mean they were and they're like that's it we're not playing unless right. we get equal per diem equal rooms equal treatment with uh, food and travel we are not playing in this world championship that america's hosting and so they had an 11th hour deal with they had an attorney that represented them so they had they couldn't practice with the national team coaches during it and then they have the world championships and she ends up scoring the winning goal in overtime to win the the gold medal so it's and then you know then unfortunately for canadians she was one of the big reasons they won <laughs> over team canada in the olympics um but you know she's a a great athlete and such a, a tireless proponent of equality for women in sports not just hockey but sports in general and i guess that sort of ties into my next question given some of the you know some of the political climate just I guess throughout the Western world right yeah, now. Yeah. How uh, timely is it to have a book that illustrates just the effort to make hockey more inclusive? To as you alluded to earlier, and I, I, it's a that's a fascinating question. I, at the time, we I was just thinking more of the whole concept of hockey is for everyone. I wasn't really thinking, you know, politics and the big picture and how it relates to Western society and how we're getting a little off the game here. <laughs> uh, but I was more. I think we were more determined to tell the story that hockey is for anyone and everyone, no matter your background, what you believe, what country you're from, what language you speak. It, just if you want to play hockey, you play hockey. And that was sort of our goal. But I guess, yeah, looking into it that way, I guess there is something to that. Um, what's next for you? Uh, I mean, you've obviously <laughs> described a, a book tour, so this is still, I mean, this book, as we speak right now, has still not been officially released. It's released tomorrow, correct? It, Tuesday the 30th, Right, yes. so, uh, yeah, today is Monday the 29th. Um, so, uh, what, do you already have ideas? Uh, are publishers approaching you? Uh, is, there, is there anything you can tell us about, perhaps, that might be coming up? Uh, hopefully, if everything happens, I'll have a book this time next year uh, with a current NHL player. One of the, uh, I guess he's considered, what do they call it? There's the whole under 25, <laughs> Nate, they call it the, the young... Young guns? The or? young guns, yeah. That, that, there's a whole series okay. of all these under 25 players that are basically now the, right. the new wave of the league. Right. So he's one of the under 25 crew, and then I'll be something Ooh, for next year. I want to guess, but I don't want to put you on no, the spot. No, I can't. I contractually can't. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, um, Nate, do you have a, 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 any more questions? Or uh, I, uh, if you don't, I'll follow up. But uh, if you have, oh, you're good. You're good. Okay. Well, I got to ask you, Jim, um, 
What are your interests outside of broadcasting, hockey? What, what, are, you, what are you interested in? Probably more than anything. I mean, outside of my family and playing hockey myself, probably military history. Mm. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't commissioned to write hockey books, my first love would be to write a, a book of military history. Well, we'd like to give you a gift with oh. that. Uh, you can open it up here. Uh, Thank you, guys. Hey! <laughs> Maybe you like beer, too. Uh, once in a while. Ooh! So, oh, do you wow. recognize the uh, the logo stamped on that beer mug? I believe that's the Royal Canadian Military Institute. It is. He does know his military history. Yes. Arb is, is, you know, just military knowledge in general, I should say. Um, so, yes. Uh, Thank that, you, gentlemen. That's um, fantastic. No problem. I won't lie to you. I don't want to throw RMC under the bus, but we. I ordered an RMC mug. It didn't arrive. So on the <laughs> last minute, I had to... Uh, I had to scramble. No, no, this is fantastic. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no, actually, one of my, we were in Europe on a vacation, and um, we were in Rome. Of course, the Coliseum and everything, but one of my favorite places, there's a Commonwealth World War II military cemetery in Rome. Okay. And it says in the gate that this portion of Rome is dedicated, it's Commonwealth territory. It's the, oh, like wow. about, I guess, about 500 square meters of actual Commonwealth territory in Rome. Right. And there's all this, all the headstones of all the, the Commonwealth soldiers, including Canadians, who helped liberate uh, Rome and Monte Cassino right. and all through the 43 and 44. So this is a, this is a big treat. Thank you, guys. So it's almost like the the Vatican is independent territory. That yeah. Is con- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. No, so seriously. Rome, so yeah. that, the Vatican isn't the only independent. It's not the only one um, in Rome. What was it that I was going to say? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, so I was researching, and they have lectures there, by the way, um, and all kinds of programs. So, you know, if you're ever down on Bay Street. Yes. Uh, I'm familiar with them, and I have been to a lecture previously. Okay. Good. And, uh, yeah, they they do good work to keep the um, the fires burning for Canadian military history. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, anything you'd like to add about this book or anything else before we wrap up? No, I mean, I'm, I'm a, thank you gentlemen for having me part of this. A big fan of both of you guys and oh, anything that encourages reading is a good thing. I mean, one of my favorite compliments ever, we were, I think it was the Wendell book and a, you know, middle-aged woman came up to us. We were at a signing and Kingston goes, my husband never reads, but he'll read this book. <laughs> and I thought, yes. Yes. We, you know, because I, I yeah. still think that there's something to it. I mean, I read hardcover books, softcover books. I'll read e-books. Right. Because I still, I like reading, you know. And and I think more than ever in this 140-character right. universe we're living in, long-form reading, reading books. I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled. Our youngest daughter loves Harry Potter. Our right. oldest, Margaret Atwood. You right. know, like they have their favorite authors. So... We're like, hey, and let's read. Let's keep going. So anything to promote books and literacy and authorship in Canada is better. Well, on that note, I can't think of a better way to sign off. Thanks for joining us again, Jim Lang. And we uh, wish you well with this book as well as with Bob McKenzie uh, on this project. Cheers. Cheers.